Like to Paul, I'm out here chaperoning the worst field trip of all time because this is V'ger Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. I'm your hallucinating co-host, Peter. Peter, did you know that we have a Patreon? I didn't even know we were heinous. <laughs> <laughs> but we do. We have a Patreon, something we rarely discuss because we're not like super duper shilly about it. But by the time this episode comes out, we'll have actually released a our latest Patreon funded episode, a review of the 1995 not at all cinematic classic Tank Girl, something we chose to review as a consequence of essentially internal show meme magic. Consequences. Uh, is a good word to use to describe <laughs> yeah, that just, fucking experience. I'm just letting everyone know that if you want to spend $3 so that you can hear me and Peter sound miserable as fuck for an hour and a half, we've got the content for you. But uh, we don't we, – we try to, to put something up every few months specifically done because we have uh, generous Patreon supporters. If that sounds interesting you, to you, please go download it. Some of other stuff you know that we've done for Patreon, we've – we've made public and we will eventually for this, but if you want to listen to it now, you can pay for it. We also, any side discussions that Peter and I have that don't make the cut, we tend to put up there. So uh, we, we appreciate anything you want to throw away, but also don't feel obliged. You know, we, we, we just do it so that we can cover the bills. Not so much that we're trying to, to make anything off it. So speaking of obligated and obliged, uh-huh. uh, if you're new to us, if you didn't hear any of the Voyager stuff, you might not know that occasionally, I drag everyone listening down a path that I don't know how many people care about, but I like talking about VR. So we're going to we're going to talk VR here for a second. It's been a minute. Excellent. Excellent. Continue. Some sad news for uh, Trek and VR. Uh, Old Starfleet Bridge Simulator, the VR version that Ubisoft put out, which was a big fucking deal when it happened. Uh, I think they lost the rights and it's been pulled down. So if you did not have that Star Trek bridge simulator installed it's gone oh my that's a rarity that something that fast gets its rights pulled usually it takes years before you have a situation like that occurs that game's only a couple years old right and you know it's been a couple years since they actually updated i want to say like 2020 or maybe even 2019 is the last time they pushed an update out and that was on like oculus steam i think playstation vr had it yeah, um, any, was way, any place you had mass market VR stuff. And you played it pretty heavily. I think that was one of your big uh, daily drivers there when you first got your quest. Yeah, it was probably my favorite thing to play. It definitely was the game's a little bare bones. I'm not going to act like it isn't, but it's still a cool experience. I started trying to play it and then my screensaver kept turning on. It was fucking me up and I laid off. I'll probably circle back around now that it's a complete fucking graveyard and it'll be a miserable experience. But I'll tell you just the intro to that game. Uh, when you start off, you're in this little shuttle pod flying towards the space station. Did they have this in the Oculus version too? Yeah, they did. And like the ships are docked and I had the DLC. So like the, the galaxy class, the enterprise D is docked and the fucking feeling of scale is unreal being in the shuttlecraft and, and looking at it. And it's worth the price of admission for that experience alone to slowly fly around this thing, which for all intents and purposes is to scale in this little world you're in. Uh, and it's fucking amazing. It's those experiences that make VR so much fun. You know, it's just, that's why it didn't bother me that the game's kind of thin. 
You know, like the whole point of it is that you feel immersed in the environment. That's why you fucking play VR games. If I want a triple A best gameplay experience, I'm not going to do it on my Oculus. I'm going to do it on my battle station of a PC, you know, with my cool graphics card and all of that. That's where I'm going to get that. That thing is that I can feel immersed and have a very different experience. I'm not looking to to have, you know, cutting edge systems with 15 different, you know, buttons I have to keep an eye on. and Which is know. Artemis, which I also enjoy. Which <laughs> yes. is the complete opposite. I mean, you can run that on any piece of shit laptop. And I think there's like what five or six stations that run it's like the super nerdy 80s wet dream of Star Trek. I fucking love it. And I guess the dude who made that is from uh, right next to my hometown. Um, cause I'm from South Euclid, Ohio. And I guess he might be from like the Mayfield area. And they're doing like a big Artemis convention in July that I think I'm actually going to go to. I was going to say, I saw that advertised. And I oh, assumed you saw it? It's, I assumed I saw it because you went like interested on Facebook or something. I think that's the only way it wound up on my feed is that you you flagged it. But you have been a stan of Artemis as literally as long as I've known you. So uh, I, you should go. I, I can only imagine the level of neck beard I will encounter when I go to that. Oh, thing. it's going to be real. You're going to find potential podcast listeners. I'm just saying that. Like it, you, you will find people who are, will buy what we're selling. <laughs> well, that's the good end of things. Uh, the, there's, there's certainly a a dark side to those conventions, much the same way there can be a dark side to strange new worlds. Season one, episode four, the first away team mission in Starfleet history. The, the I, I said it in the tagline. This is the world's worst field trip. <laughs> this is to Paul being very, very over these edgy teenager humans nonsense for 45 minutes being completely justified in everything she says from beginning to end and it's 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 actually kind of fun to watch in that particularly uh, Colin Trenier as Trip like just going super over the top with the crazy and just like just going for it uh, selling it 100% that's, that's cool but the whole thing is just a grand justification of everything that Paul says from the beginning of the episode to the end. I thought this was a dope episode. Yeah. Um, minus one big caveat. There's a lot of interesting stuff in this episode. The fact that they are so quick to involve minor characters before I, a Star Trek fan, have even memorized the main crew members' names yet. Right? It's interesting having little nobodies up front and center, especially little nobodies who don't end up dying, which really confuses me why we're using secondary characters instead of like just having mains all over the place in the spotlight. It's uh, funny you should bring that up because one of those nobodies, Crewman Cutler, was supposed to be a regular crew member. So um, I got vibes. I got I got yeah. shades of Wildman off of her. Yeah, Cutler, so the 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 two, I guess you call them red shirty uh characters in this are uh Nokovich and Cutler. And they're both crewmen and they actually have like cool little enlisted insignia as well that are different than the officer stuff so they finally like kind of figured that out a little bit more cleanly from the start and cutler was actually intended to be essentially a reoccurring character uh but unfortunately that did not occur because the actress died what yes so the actress uh kelly waymeyer unfortunately and unexpectedly passed away after the first season was done do you know what happened to her i think it was just something very sudden let me look it up 
Oh, she died of an undiagnosed cardiac arrhythmia. It just died in her home. She had no idea. So yeah, she. Th- this was something that was has been written about her. I think it was. You know what? I think I picked that up in like DVD commentary when I watched this on DVD and listened to the commentary track where they're like, yeah, we, we always expected to have Cutler back as a recurring character. And then why would this not be a memory alpha? And I mean, I guess you and I could just as easily make memory alpha accounts and edit this stuff in there, but just memory alpha, especially from the get go on this just feels like it's nothing but like star log fluff. I feel like the, the behind the scenes stuff is real minimal and it's a lot of quotes and uh, self-gratification coming out of the executive producers for like Starlog and Star Trek official magazine articles. Um, this guy came out, first aired October 10th, 2001. Teleplay by Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong. Those were two Voyager writers that were pretty big there towards the end of Voyager. And they got brought on, I think, as uh, as like the main writers for Enterprise. But the story here... Rick Berman and Bran Braga. And I think overall uh, credit where credit's due, they, they put together a pretty solid story. Uh, like we said before, it's going to be the first real away team story. And Quidence, <clears throat> even though it's planet side, coincidentally, uh, I'm going to go ahead and chalk this up as space madness. It, it's a little bit of both, right? It's it's nice that the very first time that Enterprise decides to uh, to go farting around in a part of the galaxy they've never been before, that they are immediately confronted with space madness. It's just born into Starfleet's DNA from the very beginning. I also want to self-acknowledge my own hypocrisy in that I'm pretty deep into the episode before it dawns on me. Like, I'm totally not giving these guys shit for going down to this planet and then just popping out wearing fucking pajamas and, and those who <laughs> get... I mercilessly harped on that in Prometheus that, you know, people would dare take their fucking helmets off and not be in these EV suits. You get rid of that dark lens filter on a, on a TV show and let the sun come through and you're able to uh, forgive so many other. Yeah. Yeah. You get that gritty realism filter off and, and then suddenly it's not so stupid that they're just hanging out with their ball caps on enjoying, <laughs> enjoying this beautiful LA park that they decided to shoot this. in. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> so the the run-up the teaser is pretty straightforward it's cutler in the 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 mess hall she's trying some kind of vulcan soup and nogovich comes by and is like why are you eating that nerdy vulcan soup because it's star trek under berman era and we got a real soup fetish in the writer's room that hasn't been able to rear its head since uh mid-season voyager so so soup it's gonna be i think soup actually did appear in endgame did it not it did, but not. it was not the tour de force that I was expecting. I also thought it was interesting to see a book, and that's that's them not understanding the future. That's not, uh, that's not an understanding that iPads were not for the 24th century after all. That's a 2012 thing. It's interesting to think of that in context, right? Because the, probably the reason they chose to have physical books and to use physical books is you know, iPad technology was definitely in the future of this production date. This was made in 2000 and then broadcast in 2001. And they definitely wanted to more analog the show, right? The whole concept here was even in 23rd century Starfleet in the original series, they were, you know, essentially a little 
little digital data pads. So they want to they want to analog it more. So there's a lot of switches on things, right? There's a lot of dials, physical dials on things, and there's books. And I like that, but as you just said, now it seems way more anachronistic, right? Like the idea that there would be a book in 2021 seems a yeah, little wild. But you know what I like the way you frame that, and that's how do you make something look lower tech than original series? without it just looking stupid and it looked low tech in original series because of budget limitations that certainly Berman era tech, uh, isn't, isn't subjected to. So, uh, yeah, book is a reasonable thing to put in their hands. So you didn't have to have some crude spray painted cereal box as your reading device. And also I'm sure it doesn't hurt that, uh, books are not expensive special effects that require nothing in post. And this is a pretty budget conscious episode. Like, in the end, you got some ship stuff, but it's a uh, a shuttle landing, people in a, in a, a single set dramatic environment, the hell caves. Well, we'll get to those. Don't worry. So the other guy, what's his name, Nokovich or something, starts giving her some shit about eating the soup, getting a little racist, more that that low key Vulcan racism that we're uh, being spoon fed here, and uh, hey. What's that beautiful thing outside the window? I wasn't expecting to see Earth 2. Which was a very underrated television show, FYI. And, and like Earth 2, a bunch of weird shit's happening on it. And we'll get to that. So they roll up in the club to this neat looking, as we will find out, Minishara class planet. Class M. Minishara. I loved it. I loved it. There it is. I loved it. Yeah. And uh, it's not on any maps. It's not something anyone's seen. So everyone's very excited of like, oh, cool. What's this? We found some shit out here. This is awesome. We found a habitable looking planet here with nice nitrogen, oxygen atmosphere. Who would have thought? And then what we begin with is to Paul saying, okay, children, this is how you actually do planetary surveys. You send probes, you test the atmosphere, you make sure it's safe. You do geological surveys from space. You do a lot of science for the next week before you go down there and check it out in person. Cause it could be dangerous. And of course, immediately captain Archer's like, fuck that. Get in the shuttle pod. We going bitch right now. Um, how many crewmen are on Enterprise? 86. That's a small crew. It is. That's very feasible to know everybody's first and last name. It's interesting that they just kind of stumble across this planet and it catches everybody off guard. Like this isn't where we were supposed to be. I think they're supposed to go to Nebula. Mm -hmm. So, uh, reading into the expanded universe here a little bit, like decisions being made on the bridge that go so wildly off course of whatever the current mission parameters are supposed to be really strange to think about in a ship this size, especially in a mission again. And this is what I keep coming back to. Like, I think if there's a time for military rigorous military doctrine, chain of command cohesion and all that other stuff, like, Enterprise is the place for it because there's so many things that could go wrong. They're so alone. Uh, this is humanity's ego, right? And th- that even gets brought up here. Like, if Enterprise goes down missing or whatever, that's going to be a big black eye. So 
this ties into the second thing I want to talk about. And it's just Archer feels like such a flimsy character in so many ways to me. And I'm getting shades of like almost uh, Janeway in that here's what we want to do with an episode and someone needs to be a fucking idiot to make these things happen. And that's going to be Jonathan Archer. You you nailed it. And this is why I always disliked his character so much and why I think enterprise was so badly held back as a show uh, overall is that its main character was just Janeway, but worse in its decision-making skills. There is no reason provided that is rational to why Jonathan Archer decides that T'Pol's advice sucks. There isn't like any sort of exigent circumstance or reasoning that is provided aside from we're impatient and we've decided to go anyway. It's literal irresponsibility on the part of the captain of this vessel to say, let's just go down there and party on Wayne. What's the worst that could happen? And what's making this pill so big that they want me to swallow is that there's continuity. This is not Voyager. These are not ship in a bottle episodes. Correct. Okay. They know what happened yesterday. They know what happened last week. And last week was, uh, let me fucking claw my way past these God awful tank. Right? <laughs> uh, fight or flight. So that's when they decided to fuck around by the derelict ship where, uh, vampires were draining people and before that was the crazy onset of the temporal war and like the the what they call the sulak super soldiers or whatever salubians yeah archer has been wrong a lot and things have been very dangerous and each time he kind of comes to this realization at the end which is well you know maybe we're kind of right about that okay well that's that's a cool story and then the next story is well maybe i should have listened to you after all and here it is, third time in a row. The fourth time this fucking happens, this next episode, whatever it's going to be, if I'm being subjected to Archer being a fucking idiot and disregarding all caution and any sort of advice from the seasoned, I've been to 36 planets already, subcommander with him, fool me once, shame on you, fool me seven times, we need a new captain. There's a big difference between a character that is new and is making mistakes out of ignorance, which I totally understand that that's what they wanted to do, which was, this is literally the first time any humans done this. So there's going to, they're going to fuck it up a bit along the way and they're going to learn from it and wanton irresponsibility. There was no onerous request being made on the, on the part of T'Pol when it comes to how to proceed with checking this place out. And it was just disregarded, like you said, to make the plot work with zero real reflection on the part of anyone at the end of it, aside from, I guess, trip a little bit um, about how correct Paul was the entire time. But that said, it does facilitate a fun episode. So I'm not really mad at it. You know, sure. like everything that happens after this is pretty dope, <laughs> but the way we get here is dumb. And it's, it's one of a billion examples you're going to end up having by the end of the show of like, God, fucking Archer sucks so bad. And and not to script tweak on the front end, but like you could have had all of the same good stuff that's going to happen this episode 
and just tweak a little bit on the front end. Hey, there's a reason we need to be down there. There's a reason that, you know, we need to get in before the storm hits to recover whatever this thing was. And we're just not fast enough. And that's what strands people down there and shit goes sideways from there. Instead of this entire bad things happening because the captain's a fucking idiot and we're all stupid and not learning any sorts of lessons whatsoever. As yeah, we... why not just have it so that they got they found this planet no one's ever seen before because they got like a faint distress signal from an Earth freighter. And they're like, what's an Earth freighter doing out this far? And they find it and it's like some old derelict that like crashed there. Yeah, you know? wow. like something like that. Real mass effect. Yeah, I like that. A plus. Thanks. They could have, you know, also then teased the the bad stuff through that and they could have fed that into the plot and yeah, it wouldn't have taken much to justify their actions rather than just being fucking idiot 15-year-olds. I really like that idea and that even plays in well with the uh what's his name? Mayweather. Mayweather, the story he tells, like mm-hmm. this guy I hate that space-faring families are called boomers. It is it is a little hard to parse now. <laughs> and it's not even like, God, who could know Boomer would come to mean what it is like? Baby Boomer was a fucking th- these are baby boomers making these shows back then, by the way, like what? But anyways, like him being he could have been like, wow, I heard about this freighter. You know, we've been looking for that for 15 years. Like we, we got to go check it out. Exactly. And instead, it's like, all right, <laughs> get in the car, loser. <laughs> We're going. And we find that, of course, our, our two uh, red shirty folks, Cutler and Nokovich, are part of the team. Cutler apparently is an entomologist. She is, in fact, a, a bug scientist, which, uh, you know, and is, is desperate for T'Pol to, to be the senpai that notices her by trying, like, her cuisine and doing small talk. And uh, T'Pol's not having she, it. I, you know what? I said I got Wildman vibes off of her. I was thinking... Um, the mom Wildman, but if T'Pol's just seven of nine, this would be the baby Wildman trying to like emulate her. Look, look at that. Hey, hey just stealing everything from Voyager. I like Cutler a lot. Cutler is that I am just happy to be out here in space doing cool space shit. And it's like the opposite of Hoshi in a lot of ways. Yes. You know, where Hoshi's like, I'm out here not because I enjoy space, but because I'm just very focused on this one thing and I'm really good at it. And I got guilted by my friend into being here. And whereas Cutler is like, I'm going to see alien bugs. I'm going to find I'm, <laughs> This is going to be awesome. <laughs> like I, I told Stevie in advance, like Cutler is going to be your favorite character because Cutler is basically the enthusiasm my wife would show in this circumstance like it is her but in space you know as far as like yes i want to do all the space things i want to find all the space animals and cuddle with them not just sluggos i continue to be uh attracted to these little shuttle pods that like top load and get drop down in this real archaic dark ages mm-hmm. shuttle bay that they're working out of here yeah this like with kind of un kind of unsafe osha you know not compliant like scaffolding all around it it's not this giant olympic pool sized goddamn uh, shuttle bay that they can just kind of freely walk around in tell me at some point a bad guy gets kicked on the shuttle bay doors and they open it and like blast him into space like aliens I can't say. And I have to stop my head. I hope that I hope that happens. That should yeah. happen. It better happen. It better happen. Yeah. I can't remember, but you know, it could Why happen. Why put shuttle bay doors pointing down on the ship if you're not gonna 
suck someone out into space after kicking them. Yeah, you, this is Starfleet. Yeah, you know, give yeah, them the this boot. Is Spartum up, boom, there you go. Flush them out. Uh, so they drop down the aforementioned stupid ball caps. I hate those. I know I you still like them. I do. <laughs> I get you can't put them in fucking like combat helmets because that might be too much. And because it's a happy, sunny planet, not a gritty filter off of a Ridley Scott movie. I'm not expecting it to be space helmets, but I'd rather just have hair than than fucking ball caps. I love I love that Archer brings Porthos. What a motherfucker. (laughs) What a dog. He brings his dog down to the alien planet. (laughs) You just see him like run out and pee on a tree immediately. (laughs) It's great. You you would think that this is just a high school drama club and not a bunch of space scientists with any fucking lick of common sense. Yeah, like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Why did you bring your dog? Speaking of aliens, I saw that dog run out and go off and I'm like, just a little bit of sinister music in the background here, and and you know a face hugger would be on that dog, and that dog would be chest bursting as it births the alien infestation back up on. Or if it just pees on a tree, and that's when all the loincloth people come out and be like, "The dog must perish." Yeah, from justice, those fucking. <laughs> you know, like, good God, what what part of your day is like? We just found a strange new alien world that isn't charted. I'm gonna grab my beagle. I'll be right there. I mean, the the things you're exposing this dog to. Yeah, there's no humanoids, ticks, chiggers, all that other shit that lives out in like Earth's forests that it's gross and awful to find on your dog. Who knows what this thing's? I I don't even want to think what happened to the dog on this trip. But as you mentioned, they've actually, uh, in fact, landed in a Southern California state park, and it is beautiful and wonderful and perfect they are start you know they start out by doing a, a quick picture of the away team you know it's like a little digital camera and then you know they go around they're doing science stuff they're doing scans there's like two moons it's a picture perfect day there's lots of wildflowers. it's all very nice and you know the day wraps up and the captain's like all right, well, we're going to head back. And DePaul's like, no, I want to stay overnight with my science team, do more science. Got plenty of camping gear in this thing. And then Tucker and Mayweather were like, we want to stay too. Not because we're going to do any kind of work, but because fuck it, this is rad. Which is like, this is the first example of, of Tucker doing space Florida man shit that we're going to get. And there's going to be a lot more examples as time goes on of this of like Tucker decides he just wants to do something. And then hijinks ensue that camping gear, by the way, it looks like it was all bought at a dollar store. Yeah. Yeah. The, the 22nd century camping gear is worse than the Coleman 10. I can buy a target. <laughs> like, come on guys. It looks like it's designed to be shredded at first contact with when uh, this is their first foreign into space, but this isn't humanity's first time sending out a military expedition or people going to like a semi dangerous new area, like send down the other shuttlecraft and have it just chill out just in case something bad happens. And these are excuses. Who would have thought things could go this sideways, right? Who could have ever expected this? 
with there being continuity in place for these episodes, like I'm willing to say, well, you get the first one free and the next time you do a stupid thing, that's on you, right? Mm-hmm. No, no forgiveness this time. You can feed me. I didn't want it, but you can feed me the Balana hates being a Klingon story eight times because every episode was meant to be uh, digested in a void. And the first time you pick up the show, it should all be accessible. This and that. That's not what's happening here. The next time they have a fucking away team and they leave the away team stranded and they don't give them the extra shuttle. And it's just uh, the away team in a little house on the prairie minus a monkey, which is Voyager references. But uh, I'm going to I'm going to be pissed to see it. It's not going to be acceptable. Fortunately, they do tend to have good continuity between these little lessons that get taught to them. I don't remember necessarily remember if this one gets referenced uh, or or when it does, if it does. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how bad it gets. But uh, we we do have a scene where uh, Travis is doing a ghost story from his time as a, a working on his dad's civilian ship. It's a, you know, classic campfire ghost story situation, strange thing found out in space and gets opened and it's some kind of space terror thing happens and a guy goes crazy. It's it's a classic scene to do in these kinds of circumstances and it's a little like weird to see it in Star Trek, but it's a good Star Trek based version of that story. So it fits. It was a good story it just the scene went too long uh and i don't again it seemed like this is a very budget conscious episode you're not using anything really uh exotic as far as location goes and it's just a lot of small scenes small cast drama i i keep going back to your script doctoring if they were down to investigate uh, a ghost freighter or something this would have played in much more relevant i think and the ghosty element if they started seeing you know crew members there there's a much better episode that could have been had um with those abandoned freighter tweaks and again it seems like that was the obvious direction they should have went with this not just archer's a fucking dummy yeah there's a whole bit there they could have leaned into and then kept the whole premise of the episode including the hallucinogens from the pollen part of it Mm -hmm. as the as the payoff and they just instead had no backing for it aside from let's just have let's just have college engineer just go crazy <laughs> like, the payoff to that ghost scene is that the entire premise of the ghost story is debunked by to paul who's like no way a an escape pod can broadcast an emergency signal for 60 years that's ridiculous and like everybody around the fires is kind of like well yeah, but that's that's not the point of the story. We're just <laughs> it's not the this point. isn't real. We're just we're just bullshit and chill out, lady. <laughs> it's like this is why no one likes Vulcans. <laughs> like you're just such party poopers, man. Can't even uh, enjoy a fucking scary story. And you know, to Trip's credit, and the actor who plays Trip, like his little line after that's like, well, uh, you know, they, they don't have ghosts. I'm guessing they don't have ghost stories on Vulcan, like. I don't know if it's the dialogue that's working. I don't know if it's the delivery that's working. Uh, I'm feeling certain characters coming through strong, uh, even in, in these early episodes. So there's there's something that's just working. Yeah, Trip, Trip I mean, College Nier has a good grasp of who Trip should be from the start. 
He's a Google boy engineer. He's very practical. He's very down to earth and he's Florida man. Like he figured that out from the jump and he never needed any help getting that figured out, you know? And that character remains strong throughout the entire show. So I completely agree. And what also happens is, yeah. So the next piece that happens in the episode is the wind picks up. They get into their dollar store tents. Well, before that, and now that I'm thinking about it, uh, Novacek starts complaining about a headache. There was an explicit scene during the survey where he picks up a flower and sniffs it, which I guess lends credence that uh, the hallucinogen is coming out of those flowers. For him to get such a heavy onset right up front, it, it's it's got to be the flower. So he goes, hey, you know, I got a bad headache. Let me go lay down. The rest of the people around the fire are like, oh, hey, look at that. These um, these uh, lightning bugs just all disappeared. I wonder what that means. Like you said, Novak Djokovic or whatever. And that's the tennis player. Ethan... Novakovic. God. This is the Let's kind just of go Novacek. Novacek. <laughs> Not gonna matter because I don't think we're gonna see this guy again. He <laughs> lays down, the wind picks up, everyone goes back to their tents. As the storm is going on, uh either real or imagined, uh Tucker and Travis confront a giant scorpion in their tents. <laughs> Um, Trip wants to shoot it in, pu- in pure Florida man style. Give me a gun. I'm going to shoot the scorpion. I don't blame him if I saw that fucking thing in my sleeping bag. Memory Alpha points out uh, a pretty good note that it very much resembles the conspiracy chest burster bugs. Oh, it does. Yeah, it's got that. It's like a weird, nasty looking space bug. It is definitely not friendly. Shoot it. Kill it with fire, in fact. But this uh, this event causes Paul to suggest that they should go into a nearby tunnel network to take shelter because their camping gear sucks and it's filled with scorpions. And uh, when they when they cut back, uh, that is precisely where they are. And, you know, we're getting a little bit of information up at the ship where Archer's like, hey, how how are our friends doing down there? And Reed's like, uh, well, we didn't check the weather before we sent down. So now they're in the middle of a fucking hurricane. So big oops on my part. Yeah, maybe we should have left him a ride home after all. Uh, so the caves. I These don't look like the planet health caves. Really? Uh, do, do you think they do? They weren't very well lit. So I assume they were just the planet health caves, little extra bits here and there. I mean, usually those planet health caves stick out like a sore thumb. Like you, there's very definable like ledge formations and stuff. These look, uh, I don't know, maybe they just redress the entire set. Like, could it still been the same soundstage? But um, we'll have to see the next time some caves show up if it's our old friends. As you just pointed out, the most notable feature of these caves is how dark it is. These are all going to be flashlight scenes here forward. And um, the hallucinations are going to set on pretty quickly here. Uh, in terms of seeing people just around a corner, stepping into shadows, uh, you know, casually panning the flashlight around, seeing something when you go back to it, it's gone. Pretty creepy effect. And um, I think they do a good job building the the lunatic atmosphere that the majority of this episode is going to dwell in with those camera tricks. They definitely 
don't try and like trick you too hard that it's not there being crazy. They lay a path that this is all in their heads pretty, pretty quick, you know, and about halfway through the second act, there's no doubt that this is in their heads, right? You, because I knew that that was going to be the plot, that, that they were all being affected by a hallucinogen. It may be, I was, I was trying to get a feel for it while I was watching it of like, how hard were they trying to sell that this is actually a space mystery and how hard is it, how obvious is it that it's not? I got the impression they weren't really trying to trick the audience into thinking that this was a real plot and that it was actually space madness. Right. And then, when then that got revealed, it seemed pretty natural that that was the answer. Was that the case for you? Yeah, I'm just saying that the 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 eerie effect of I thought I saw someone and they're gone and and people that look oh, like sure, they yeah. it was well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Blair Witch Two, which I really enjoyed. Um, that that kind of I thought I saw something. There's nothing really there. Uh, the critical thing that's missing here is any sort of self-awareness or never at any point do these guys go, you know, am I go? Well, first of all, it's interesting that these are shared hallucinations or are they? Because trip is talking about rock monsters. Cutler is seeing actual humanoids. Yeah. Um, Novacek, I think he sees the other crew members. So I guess they're all kind of a little different. And by the time they start, what I would call the shared hallucination where they're buying each other's shit. Like they're all so sick and sweaty and fever ridden that, uh, you know, who knows what they're talking about. So it makes sense as to that, but, um, they do a nice job making it scary. The, the, the lack of self-awareness of, am I going crazy? What do you mean? You didn't see that. And the bigger, the biggest offender becoming to Paul who at no point is able to diagnose these these hairless apes are <laughs> seeing things and uh i know they say she's a little infected by this thing too that puts her a little on that <laughs> how do i describe it oh yeah uh to paul delivers every line like the evil doctor in a psych asylum who knows that you're not crazy and is just like you're very sick mr joe you need help no, you are not a podcaster. That's a fantasy. Like it's, everything's like so condescending and like fuck you ish that the whole thing just feels like she's instigating. I think that was on purpose, right? Like they they structured her dialogue that way so that it would feed the paranoia of the other crew members. And the whole point is that's kind of where she fails a little bit. Is that she and she comes around at the end, right? Like where she realizes. You know. I guess it does sound like I've just been fucking with these guys the whole time. Maybe yeah, I, <laughs> I need to like back up a little bit, ease up on these on these hairless apes a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sensitive folk. Now like, that I think about it, I am sounding a little um, evil, I guess. Yeah, that's that seemed to be what their intention was to me was she was kind of overloading on the hyper scientific way of speaking. And at the end, she kind of softens a little bit you know, to these hairless apes, like, okay, I'm going to change my approach a little bit, but th- all of the crazy is carried on the back of trip, right? Like he's the one that's just absolutely going bananas, 
you know, and is, is melting down mentally in front of everybody and is having to sell how wild eyed crazy he is the entire time. And it's a buildup from like, I saw something here. I went out. I'm not trusting you. Now I'm seeing things. Now I've got a fucking science teacher from my 10th grade talking to me. And now I've got my delusions being like fed to me by the captain. Like there's a whole story arc of his crazy in this episode. He fucking nails it the whole way. It's good writing. It's good acting. Uh, the support cast behind him, Mayweather, Cutler, are pretty zonked out from whatever is making him sick. Like I could have gone for a little bit more something out of Mayweather. I mean, for being main bridge crew, I thought that he's like a little too checked out. Um, Get used to that. <laughs> well, if that's systemic of, of the show as a whole, but I thought thumb playing, you know, to Paul playing off of a uh, trip worked well. Uh, so Novacek is an interesting B plot. Uh, he has run off. He is sure that there's something in the caves. He does not want to be in the caves. He runs off. They try to hunt him down. Paul goes deeper in the cave to see if there's anything actually in there. I like when they open up the gun case. Like to, Think of that. You bring down guns for the away team mission, but they're locked in suitcases. And then there's what? There's is there six of them, I think. But there's only four guns. Well, there was only four guns because there's only supposed to be four of them staying, I believe. Fair, 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 fair. Uh, they go off. They can't find them. They almost fall down the Grand Canyon that nobody saw there. I don't know. That works. Just like the weather, right? Like no one saw this giant hurricane bearing down on that area. Well, you know, the Doppler radar system wasn't that good on those old NX classes. He cannot be found. Uh, and finally... Things start escalating. There's there's a couple chats back and forth. And we're like, you know what? Fuck this weather. We need to get these guys. We're going to fly down the shuttlecraft, try and pick them up. We're able to read the life signs. Novacek ain't doing so hot. To get down there, I really like the scene where Archer's like, hey, Novacek, we're here to get you. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm looking around the shuttlecraft like, what did he just say? You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm your boss, right? You're going to yeah. be cleaning toilets for the next six months. <laughs> well, it's going <laughs> to punishment's going to be a little bit more severe than that. You know, I'm going to put you through that fucking uh, the, the luggage mover. Yeah. The, so there's a failed attempt at, at landing a shuttlecraft to bail everybody out after folks start to get suspicious of T'Pol because like Cutler sees her talking with people, but they're not really there. And so like she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I didn't talk to anybody, but all uh, again, that gets, they always get shortcut because they're going to get picked up and then the pickup fails. But again, like for, for Paul to completely miss it, like, well, she says she heard you talking to people. She's got no reason to lie. You say you weren't talking to people. You've got no reason to lie. And like to Paul, not to be like, yeah, well, maybe she's crazy. Maybe she's seeing things. Maybe, maybe we're all a little whacked out of our minds down here. Um, yeah, the, the shuttle pickup fails. Novacek ain't doing so hot. They go, uh, you know, if we don't pick this guy up, he's going to die. Let's use that newfangled transporter. What's hey, it works the it? one time we used it. So why not give it another go? Well, here's why. <laughs> I love that this is what happens. That they're like, okay, just pick him up. Just go down there, press the levers and get his ass up here. Solar then, no soul, you're coming with us. 
and then you know Malcolm is like, uh, okay, I think I got him. Uh, wait a second, the, the this can't differentiate from the debris around him. Oh fuck it, <laughs> they just put push the gas, bring I him up. Thought they were gonna like beam him in inside out or a puddle of goo, and we were gonna get like our first transporter death. Uh, what we got was so much better. All the fucking leaves and sticks that were blown around and what looked like rocks. This dude like transports him with like branches and shit like stuck in his face. Leaves sticking out of his nose. Sticks. Big rocks by his cheekbones. Uh, I love a good industrial accident. And this was an A+. This is one of the best transporter accidents I think I've seen. Because it wasn't like too dramatic. It was it was logical, right? The whole point that they're 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 pointing out there is this is very primitive transporter technology and because it's primitive it's picking up all the stuff that's around him that's swirling around and when it rematerializes it's rematerializing kind of like on his face and in his skin in his face yeah like that is like the perfect transporter accident because it's like pretty reasonably limited to something you could kind of see happening in this set of circumstances and wasn't fatal also like it was just painful and was able to be reversed yeah how lucky for him that that rock is in his cheekbone and not in his brain maybe like that's why i don't see him on because i think this is the only time we see novacek and maybe it's like uh yeah you know he lived but uh he's got leaves in his left hemisphere and not really (laughs) he's got leaf brain (laughs) He's, it's he's bad. not useful anymore. <laughs> what, every every fifteen minutes, he just drops whatever he's doing and then yells at a large, loud volume into a bulkhead, and then continues on with whatever he was yeah. doing. He's going home. He's going home. The he's dangers just, of space. He's he's going to be part of our new special Starfleet. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. Fortunately for Novak Djokovic, you know he. He, he's got the handy Dr. Flox around and Flox, you know, he's got a little, little treatment for everything. He's closing up little wounds and he's like, you know, he's I'm treating them, taking care of them. And then, you know, Archer, I was like, can I talk to him? And he said, yeah, you could, but you don't want to. Cause he's high as shit. <laughs> he's, he's on LSD right now. And, and he's like, what do you mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. He's uh, his blood's coursing with hallucinogens. Um, I looked under the microscope and I actually saw the script. You're not going to believe what the plot of this episode is. It's space <laughs> madness, even though they're on the planet. Everybody is tripping balls and it's going to be a bad time. But don't worry. After about two or three hours in the clean ship air, everything should be just fine. Wink. <laughs> I do like how casually he puts it. Of like, yeah, you could talk to him, but he's high as shit right now. Yeah, yeah, everyone's high down there right now. Very high. You should bring them home. Like, no urgency in his voice, really. Just very matter-of-fact, like, that's just what's going on. So, majority of the episode from here out is going to be things in the cave quickly devolving. Trip is not willing to chill out. Um, high drama as the other crew members get more and more... Uh, fatigued, falling asleep, and you know, you guessed it, it's going to end with Trip and Paul pulling guns on each other. And also a ticking clock element is inserted when we find out that this hallucinogen that they're on is going to poison them if they are not treated in advance. And so not only 
um, do we have their tripping balls, but now they have to take their medicine or else their their lives could be in danger. Yeah, what was that in, wow, was that called like a secondary proc? Yes, it was a secondary proc. Like it's a bleed effect that hits after yeah. the, you know, after a certain amount of time. That you it, you thought it was a, a debuff hallucinogen, but really it's a um, necromancy poison effect. Uh, Archer gets called back down to sick bay, and Novacek is uh, looking like he's gonna die. There was some, and I like that. You know, they've got these sensors. They're not like super technology of the 24th century that show you everything you need to know up front. You can find the stuff if you're looking for this stuff. And I really liked that Phlox screwed up. He wasn't something he was looking for. So he didn't know. And he's apologetic over it. Like you don't see that all that often in Star Trek where like a major cast member like screws up by not thinking of doing something. And even though Phlox is one of the more veteran and knowledgeable people on the ship being, you know, a doctor who's seen it's worked in other species and has been around a little bit. He's still fallible, much like the rest of the crew and, and cops to his mistake and apologizes for it. It's, it's, it's a neat tone setter. This is the first time you don't see a jovial flocks too. Uh, it's, and especially too, like compared to the EMH, which we're coming off of, the EMH never said I'm sorry. EMH was a always knew what to look for, and B never really had to say I'm sorry because I fucked up. So this is a really good human moment for him. The acting's great; you feel it, and they do a good job of selling this as much more severe than what it needs to be. Because according to Memory Alpha, originally the script calls for Novacek to die from this, and everything yes. you see is basically saying Novacek is going to die for this. I'm sorry I fucked up. The sky is going to die. It's my fault. Uh, that really lights the fire under Archer's asset. We got to fix this. We got to synthesize a serum. We need to go. And apparently what had actually happened was the script called for the death, and it was Scott Bakula that was like... And when I read it, I was... If, First, it's like, why, why the fuck would Scott Bakula get any creative input on, you know, them deciding, no, let's not kill this guy after all. Like, it's not fair. I'm like, that's shut, shut the fuck up. What are you talking about? But the rationale reading deeper in was good. And it's that this would represent the first Starfleet death, that this should carry huge emotional impact. And if the show wasn't going to be willing to, like, really put the time in to feel that loss and that uh, that the real the real shadow of consequence being cast over him, then it's better to have him survive than throw a cheap red shirt death from original series. in. I, I, I get the, what I think Bakula was saying, which is let's wait on this, right? Like there's going to be plenty of opportunity to like have deaths happen and to meditate on the deaths. And let's, let's like, do it the right way. Yeah. Let's, let's hold up and find the right spot, which this goes back to something we said when we talked about the pilot, which is these were actors who were much better prepared to do this show than most track actors that found themselves do it. Because now by now you've got, you know, 15 years of a track record of broadcast track in the Berman era, right? Like the there it's a known quantity 
what being on Star Trek means, particularly for someone like Scott Bakula, who's literally, you know, done major science fiction television. Well, look at the politics, too. I mean, Voyager was for all intents and purposes a bunch of nobodies, right? I, was there <laughs> anybody that was really... Kate Mulgrew was known because she was on Ryan's Hope. Yeah, but it. listen, man, that's that's, that's daytime TV. That's not fucking Quantum Leap. You know, yeah. that wasn't a big ask. Patrick Stewart. Uh, nope. Total I nobody. Total nobody. I mean, he had to be in Dune prior to that, right? He, he, yeah, he was in Dune, but like he was. He might have been a big deal overseas. He was a minor character that died real fast in Dune. <laughs> your your biggest, I think, get in Next Gen was, was uh, LeVar Burton reading Rainbow yet, or it's that after? Uh, he was doing it at the same time. So from a Trek standpoint, Scott Bakula is the biggest dick out of the gate I think they've ever gotten. And in Voyager, the absolute dread and horror at the idea of a cast member um, suggesting a script edit requiring a phone call to the writer's room and a two-hour delay while people pondered over it. And here you got Scott Bakula saying, no, this is stupid. This isn't good. And even though the script, which is finished, we've all agreed to, and we're filming this stuff now, like you should rewrite it because this is dumb. Uh, I might not like how Archer's coming off, but I can certainly appreciate the vigilance of this guy on the set to to tell the writers or tell the well, the writers are the executive team. It's Bran Brana and, and fucking Rick Berman and being like, uh, this is stupid. Your idea was bad and there's a better way to do this. And that has been the fatal flaw in a lot of this Trek stuff out of Berman, Voyager and Ford, where there's just you surround yourself with yes men who praise your great ideas and then praise your bad ideas. And then everybody sits around scratching their head, wondering where all the fucking viewers went. And you're probably right that Bakula is maybe the only person who could have pulled that stunt and say, like, you need to reassess this because he's such a known actor that was on like a major network television show. You know, he's got enough like buy-in and respect from the people around him because he's got a career on his hands, you know? Yeah. A good point. The situation on the surface continues to uh, degenerate as Tripp's uh, grasp of reality collapses and it comes down to kayfabe. Uh, what the captain does to resolve the situation is rather than try and convince Trip to that he's hallucinating and he should take his medicine to concoct a fictional circumstance that matches his delusions so that he will lower his gun long enough for T'Pol to fucking shoot him cold blooded, <laughs> which to which the captain says, all right, let's all hope T'Pol remembers which side is stunned. <laughs> like, let's hope she's not too crazy. I guess that's what we're betting on. Let's do it. And, uh, so Paul does not hesitate for one solitary second, but does in fact stun a uh, trip uh, stone cold down. And then actually I think Vulcan neck pinches Travis, I think. And Pops uh, his ass right on the neck. And yeah. And gives them all their medicine and gives herself the medicine. And uh, they all come to in the morning as the winds have passed. And they're like, um, Oh, I remember. I, 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 Oh no. That wasn't a dream, was it? We were actually crazy. Fucking Trip's like, did you shoot me? <laughs> She's like, yes, I did. <laughs> I, I shot you and you deserved it. <laughs> like, to be he's fair, like, you shot the cave up. Oh, I will tip my hat to the uh, the special effect of the phaser shots hitting the rocks. Like, 
those explosions are pretty cool. I don't know if you yeah. really paid attention to that, but that that's some pretty good uh, phaser fire there. I also like during the scheming of how to get trip incapacitated. It's what's the name? Hoshi. Yes. Speaking in Vulcan to Paul and uh, trying to like relay the secret messages and why are you guys talking in code? Oh, well, you know, she's sick too. And, and she forgot uh, what her, how to speak English. Um, I also liked the story about uh, the training mission where trip got, nitrogen poisoning or whatever mm-hmm. and wanted to pull his helmet off and uh was able to suspend his disbelief in reality long enough by just listening to the orders of archer and it like kind of shows he's this good soldier which in this situation results in him getting shot but you know these things <laughs> happen no it all it all comes together well it's very much carried by performance and and specific uh by by trip um but actually like you know like to paul is very like you said she kind of like walks into the the problem accidentally by being a little too matter of fact and not at all kind of understanding what's going on and then ends the episode a little bit more understanding and then you got cutler who's you know just happy to be here and then kind of gets drawn up in all of it and then you got all of the more, elements work pretty well. They just need a better frame story that didn't made Archer not to be out to be such a fucking child it, for putting him in the situation to begin with. Just, just dumb. You know? um, I also want to recognize that it's they're able to more realistically build tense moments with high stakes. Your people are trapped. You need to get to them. There's this time limit that if you don't get them in time, they're going to die. Uh, And you don't just have the magic of the transporter to fix all your problems. And in Voyager and Next Gen, they would fix that problem by saying, oh, there's ions in the atmosphere and it's. It's making transporter difficult, like I don't know why. Throwaway dialogue like that does not resonate as well as because it's the same thing, right? We we have a transporter. We cannot use the transporter. And I think it's because sometimes the transporters are like super fucking awesome. And then sometimes eh, we need that plot thing. Just they don't work today versus yeah, this like, is a more naturalistic example of something that's an unreliable piece of technology. Like you some- don't want to use it. There's risk involved. They've established the risk. Like so in the future when they're using shuttle pods and they don't want to use the transporter, you as the viewer are like, oh, I know why. That guy came up and he had fucking rocks in his head. He has leaf brain. <laughs> like mm-hmm. That's why. Like this is a rational fear they have because this shit our is primary not modes, Our primary mode of, of transportation is the shuttlecraft. And the shuttlecraft is unavailable because of weather conditions um, and and the idea of like bungee jumping out of the back of the ship and then trying to snatch someone up and rip them back up into space and not pull their arms and legs off in the process, which is basically what the transport is, right? Like just this, it's there for cargo. It's not there for people. I like it. And, 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 I, and I felt that that danger a lot more than I have in anything uh, people stuck on the surface plot wise in a long time. So yeah, really good episode. It, and, it, and it's a simple episode. There's no aliens that we really see. Uh, it's just a strong inner character, dramatic space madness episode. What are we watching next week, Peter? 
Going in next, we're going to do season one, episode five, Unexpected. I'm seeing uh, one of these. Gosh. What, what do they call the Solar? Solox? Salubian. Salubians. Do you remember uh, what these guys look like to me? I don't know. There's some lady talk, and I think that's a Salubian. She, it looks like that race that was the co-pilot from the last Starfighter. God, I haven't seen that movie in forever. I don't know what remember what they look Vaguely like. Vaguely Trandoshan. How about that? Okay. When Trip is dispatched to assist a Cerulean ship with its power source problems, he's delighted to have a friendly encounter with one of the ship's female engineers. However, shortly after returning to Enterprise, his genitals start to itch. <laughs> yeah, he discovers that the seemingly innocuous interaction has led to a surprising result. I don't know. Maybe his uh, dick does start to burn when he pees. Listen, Trip is Florida man in space, so we got we got to have an episode that is, uh, shall we say, notorious uh, for for what it uh, what its premise is. I cool. think it's hilarious, but uh, you will have to to help me judge this. Uh, Real quick, better. before we we pop out here on this episode, I do want to point out that the the one we did watch was Dave Livingston who is a very well-established Voyager name for us. Is there anything that really stands out to you as a Livingston style? The fact that they are all, they're pretty flat. Like I think my, my take from his Voyager episodes is that they tend to be very boring in how they were shot, you know, safe, very safe, nothing crazy, you know, and I'm looking through his like enterprise episodes and it's like, the cloud emanations, not learning curve, non sequitur maneuvers, deadlock, deadlock. That's the first one with any kind of creativity, but it's really it's just shot. Re- it's just shot reverse shots so that you can do people doing, you know, acting against themselves. 28 um, episodes. Yeah. That's the Voyager kid there. Oh, okay. There's one here that he did something interesting. Knight Knight had probably the best camera move in Voyager. Because it was the it was the tracking shot from the uh, conference room all the way to the the captain's chair on Chakotay. Yeah, it was like the only happen. time they ever did a shot like that, and I still fucking remember it. That's so, a great one, and that really showed the weight of like how bad the situation it was. Had that was why it was an amazing shot. It was like you know, no dialogue, just him, you know, slowly walking from the conference room and sitting down, and you could see it on his face, and it's like, wow, why don't you do this more often? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> like, Just talking about it's made me miss Chicote. What a what a great shot! All right, man. All right. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening to Future Please. We are, as noted, a heinous trip for Warp Five. We call the balls and strikes here as we review Enterprise. If you'd like to see more, or listen to more good news. There's a whole bunch of episodes we did about Voyager. Literally every gosh darn episode, and all kinds almost, of little, almost almost and almost. and all kinds of little like season reviews and special episodes therein. Check us out. You can also reach us at VJPlease at gmail.com, at VJPlease on Twitter. But our preferred method is if you join our VJPlease trauma support group on Facebook. We're always happy to have more fans along on the ride to experience the dankest of themes in the goodest of times. And we will see you next week.